I've been thinking um, as I've looked around uh, all that's going on around us today in this world, and there just seems to be a great deal of discontent and unrest. And uh, so what I would like to do today is just to share some thoughts with you on Christian contentment. Um, and I wanted to clarify something because this happened to me just recently. I was visiting with somebody, and when I said I was just sharing some of these thoughts with him at the prison, and he said, well, isn't it bad to be content? And he was getting the word contentment mixed up with complacency. We don't want to be complacent, but we do want to be content in the Lord. And so I've received a great deal of help in thinking about this from a book by Jeremiah Burroughs. It's in the 1600s, so it's not real easy to read for me. Um, but there's some. the title of the book is wonderful, and the content of the book is wonderful. It's just hard to read through some of it. The content, but the title of the book is "The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment," and I love the title because it talks about Christian contentment being a jewel, which is you think of jewels, you think of something beautiful, and if it's a rare jewel, it's a precious jewel, and so when you see contentment in the life of somebody, it is precious and it is beautiful. To see. So, what is contentment? Well, I'll give you the simple definition, then I'll give you Jeremiah Burroughs' definition, which is much more comprehensive. The simple definition out of the dictionary is just being satisfied with one's possessions, status, or situation you're in. Being satisfied. Jeremiah Burroughs talked about Christian contentment. I'm going to read this twice because it's kind of long. The sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise disposal in every condition. Let me read it again. That sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Other words, it's an inward thing. It's, It's inward yielding the heart towards God and his control, his wise control, his fatherly control over the events that come into your life. Now, it is possible to act like you're content. In other words, you don't murmur and bellyache and complain all the time. You don't do anything like that with your mouth. But inwardly, your heart is complaining. Inwardly, your heart is in turmoil. That's not what we're talking about, just being quiet. We're talking about an inward work of the Spirit of God in a person 
to where they can yield willfully and joyfully to God in whatever situation you're in. It's a quietness, he brings up in his definition, it's quietness of the soul. And it's opposed then, if it's quietness of the soul, it's opposed to the murmuring and complaining. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's not what we're talking about. What he's saying is it's an inward submission and yielding to God regardless of the situation, and you're quiet. You're, you're, you're just trusting God. Now, if you are still in distress, it's not saying you shouldn't take your distress to the Lord. Peter tells us that. Peter says, cast all your anxiety upon him, for he cares for you. So we're, we're instructed to take it to the Lord, but we're not instructed to keep complaining about it. We're instructed to take it to the Lord. And you see that, that very thing in the life of the Lord, in the garden. This is what he says in Mark 14. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He was taking, he was distressed. The Lord was in great distress, but he was taking that distress and pouring it out before his Father. So there is certainly a place for that. So we're not saying that you never do, don't ever say anything. We say just when you say it, you're saying it to God. You're asking God to help you in the midst of your distress. So I wanted to share, there's just two main sections here. I wanted to share some verses from the Bible about contentment. And then I wanted to just share some thoughts I had on ways we can cultivate contentment in our lives. So the first one is in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And this is in the context of false teachers using the pretext of godliness for their own gain. This is 1 Timothy 6. And I'm going to actually start reading at the end of five to um, get the flow here of these men. It says, men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of great gain. They were wanting godliness for personal gain. Paul says, to Timothy, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So Paul is saying that true godliness really is great gain when accompanied by contentment. 
And he's also admonishing the Christians to be content with food and covering. Now, Paul is not condemning having possessions and things like that, but he is giving in verses 9 and 10 here, gives a real strong warning that there's a danger in longing for riches. That's what he says there. Longing for it, they've wandered away from the faith. So it's that desire of the heart, the longing of the heart for these riches. He says that's dangerous. And in fact, if you go down to verse 17, you can tell that Paul's not saying you're coming against possessions. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So the danger, again, of a lot of accumulation of things, possession, wealth, is you tend to rely on those things. That's the danger. It's not that you can't possess things, but it's the danger is you rely on those things and you're not relying on God. And that's what Paul's warning against here. So let's then look. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read this. From Hebrews 13, it's a very similar uh, portion of scripture. It's two verses, five and six out of Hebrews 13. We are exhorted to be content with what we have. Now, Paul says, with food and covering, the writer of the Hebrews says, with what we have. In other words, what God has provided us with. He says, make sure your character is freed from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. (coughs) Verse 6, so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? So the reason that the Christian can be content with food and covering, can be content with, with whatever God's provided, is because we have God. We have God with us. And he's promised he will never desert us or forsake us, and he's promised he'll help us right here in this verse. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. The Lord is my helper. I think I will have you turn to the next verse that I want to look at, though. (coughs) This is um, in Philippians. Again, Paul writing to the church in Philippi. And this is in chapter 4. There's about five verses here from 10 to 15 I want to look at. (coughs) But I rejoiced, this is verse 10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, 
For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means and also how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through, through him who strengthens me. <coughs> Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. <clears throat> so there's a couple of things I want to point out here. Number one is in verse 11. I have learned content to be content in whatever circumstances. He's learned it. It didn't just happen overnight. <clears throat> you don't become patient overnight. You learn it over time. And it's the same with contentment. A lot of life's lessons are learned. It's a process of learning over time. And it's a continual process of learning. You're learning to be patient. You're learning to be content. That's a learning process. Secondly, he says it's a secret. <clears throat> it's obvious when it is present. But what's not obvious is how got there in the first place <laughs> you know you you can see when it's there but the process of getting there isn't necessarily obvious <clears throat> but I think that what he's saying here he says he's learned the secret he's learned the secret of that and I I think I may be wrong on this but I think the context here in 12 and 13 I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. <clears throat> so I think the secret is Paul wasn't relying on himself. He was relying on God. That's his reliance. That's the secret to being content is relying on God, trusting God. This verse is used so Verse 13 is used so wrong. It used athletes saying, I can do everything, anything that God strengthens me to do. But it's all talking about your strength. This is not talking about that. This is a reliance on God and his strength and his ability to get you through tough times. Uh, through uh, When you have prosperity, it's a reliance on God. When you have little, it's a reliance on God. Psalm 16, you don't need to turn there. There's just two verses. I'll read them. <coughs> this is one that does not use the word contentment, but it conveys that thought. Psalm 16, verses 5 and 6. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. 
the psalmist, he says here, is he's satisfied with where God has him. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. So there's a real contentment, a real rest in where God has him because he says, the reason he can say that is God is his portion. In verse 5, he says, the Lord is my portion, of, is the portion of my inheritance. You support my lot. So the idea is his support is from the Lord. Therefore, he can say in whatever circumstances he is in, the Lord has put me here and I'm content with that. <clears throat> I want to turn to um, Psalm 62, however. There's about um, eight verses I want to read here in Psalm 62. This psalm in my book, Bible, it says, God alone is a refuge from treachery and oppression. And so this is David writing this psalm. Psalm 62, verse 1. This is very familiar to you. My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will you assail a man that you may murder him, all of you? Like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence, they have counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. David's seeing these things. He says in verse 5, My soul wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. On God, my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. And read verse 8 here. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour your heart out toward him, for, before him. God is a refuge for us. <clears throat> so the psalmist is saying that there is a quiet waiting and trusting in God. My soul waits in silence for God only. <clears throat> And this is even in the midst of false accusations and others trying to tear tear down and destroy his trust in God. He still is firmly committed to his soul waiting for God. Now, I thought this was interesting. In verse 5, it sounds very, it's almost exactly the same. One little difference. In verse 1, it's like Paul is just making a statement. My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. But when you look at verse 5, it's like he's talking to his soul. He's not just making the statement. He's saying, my soul, comma, 
wait for wait and silence for God only. So it's like he's talking to himself. <clears throat> and there are times when you get hit with things and you have to talk to yourself and remind yourself of truths from the scripture. You have to do that. And that helps to keep you from sinking. You're remembering the truth. And again, this doesn't mean you don't pour your heart out to God. He tells us to do that in verse 8. Pour your heart out to him. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour your heart out before him. God's a refuge for us. So pour your heart out to God. That's what he's saying. Then the last section, and there are so many places in the Psalms that kind of convey this thought of of contentment and trusting God and resting in God and peace with God. But that's all I'm going to take out of the Old Testament. This one I'm going to take is very familiar to you also in 2 Corinthians. In the first, and this is chapter 12, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in the first um, six verses, Paul is recounting some of the visions and things, revelations that he's had of the Lord. But I want to pick it up and read from um, verse 7 to 10. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, He has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for the sake of for Christ's sake for when i am weak then i am strong <clears throat> it's it's interest it was very interesting to me when i was reading through this to notice that two times in verse 7 <clears throat> paul tells us the reason he was given this thorn in the flesh to keep me from exalting myself. Now, if that seems strange to you, you need to realize Paul just saw some pretty amazing things, great things. He saw revelations that, it says, what does it say, carried him to the third heaven? Is that what it, something? But he was carried up in these visions that he saw that were pretty amazing. 
And if a person has done that, had that experience, there can be a tendency or a temptation at least to boast in those things, to glory in those things. And so Paul is saying, to keep me from exalting myself, I have this thorn in the flesh. In other words, God sent something to keep him from exalting himself. Now, that's a mercy of God. When God does things in your life that it may be hard things, but he does them for your good. This was for Paul's good that this thorn was in his flesh, the thorn of the flesh. It was for his good. <clears throat> and it was for his good to keep him humble, not to be exalting himself. <clears throat> so Paul then says <clears throat> that uh, he would glad, he, he said the Lord said to him after he prayed, obviously the Lord didn't take it away, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you. So the grace of God was sufficient, he said, for this trial I'm in right now. And the grace of God is sufficient for the trial that you're in right now, whatever that trial is. It may be a very severe trial, but the grace of God is sufficient for you in that. <clears throat> and Paul says, I, I like, it just doesn't say that he's content with weakness and difficulties and persecutions. It says, I am well content. I gladly to be where God wants me and content with that. Okay, for the remainder of the time, um, I would like to just look at uh, several ways that as Christians, we can cultivate contentedness or contentment in our lives. And the first way I'm going to take from the Apostle John in 1 John, and this is in 1 John chapter 2, <clears throat> and this is what John says in verse 15 through 17 in John, 1 John 2. <clears throat> Do not love the world, or nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. The one who does the will of God lives forever. <clears throat> this world that we live in is very alluring, if you haven't noticed. It's very alluring. And it's very charming and very enticing. And it's extremely deceitful. And it's very easy to become ensnared uh, with the things of this world. To be Ensnared means to be a trapped. You're trapped in it. You get caught up in it. <clears throat> and uh, John is saying, don't love the things of the world. 
You know, this thing of getting ensnared was exactly what happened with the very first sin in the garden. Eve got ensnared, got trapped with what Satan was saying, the serpent was saying in the garden. And all three of the things that John mentions, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, all come into play in Genesis chapter 3. And I'm just going to read three verses to you to show you that. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. The first thing the serpent did is he tried to get her to doubt the word of God. Doubt what God said. God said you eat and you're going to die. You're not going to die. That's the first thing. Then he says, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Pride, you're going to be like God. You eat this, you're going to be just like God. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was wise or was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. So in that verse, you've got both aspects, the lust of the eyes, delight to the eyes, and lust of the flesh. Make you, make you uh, wise, make you wise. <clears throat> The advertising industry <clears throat> pays people lots of money, lots of money to create ads that make you feel like you need more, you need something new, something improved. <clears throat> the pro- it may not be a product. It may be something that'll, that will make you feel a certain way. All of these things, if you listen to them enough, you're going to be affected by them. It's going to have an influence on your thinking. Think of all the messages, all the songs, all the slogans, all the feelings that these messages try to evoke to ensnare you into thinking about their product or thinking in a certain way about something. They haven't, there's an agenda. They're trying to get you to think a certain way. Now, for those of you in school who've studied this, it's called propaganda. And the world is an expert at it to deceive you, to get you thinking a certain way. <clears throat> so, Be careful. John's saying, don't love the world. Be careful. And I would just add, to go along with what John says here, this world's passing away. Do not be inordinately taken up with the comforts of this world. The world is passing away. And it may pass away sooner than you think it will. We need, 
When God gives you something, whatever it is, it could be a person in your life, it could be a possession you have, you need to hold on to that very loosely because that could be taken away at any time. God's given it to you because he wants you to be a steward of the things that he's given to you, not an owner of the things that he's given to you. There's a big difference. So hold loosely with an open hand to the things that God has provided and remember they're from God and we're his stewards and we let go when he says to let go. Second way that or thing we could do to help us with cultivating contentment is to not get distracted with too many things in the world and forget what's really important. We need to remind ourselves of what the Lord told Martha in in Luke 10, these three verses. But Martha was distracted, that's the key word, distracted, with all her preparations, and she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her, then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Being distracted with many things, even good things, can cause us to forget what really matters, to forget the most important thing. And uh, we just have to be very careful with that because a lot of the things we can get into are, are not bad things. They can be very good things, but it, if it can cause distraction from the main thing, and we just have to be careful. It's significant, was significant to me that the Lord mentions the parable of the sower and the seed in three of the four Gospels. And so I want to draw attention to one aspect of those parables about things that can draw your attention to uh, get distracted from the main thing. In Matthew chapter 13, this is what it says, And the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns This is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So worries of the world, deceitfulness of wealth. Luke 8, the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard and as they go on their way, They are choked with worries and riches 
and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. It's unfruitful. Mark chapter 4 verse 19, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So in these three passages, the Lord mentions four different things that will choke the word and it will be a hindrance to your contentment in, in this life. One is worries of the world, and he mentions that in all three of them. Deceitfulness of wealth or riches. It's deceitful. Pleasure, pleasures, it says there in Luke, pleasures of this life will cause you to get distracted. And desire for other things. Those four things will cause you to get distracted from the most important thing, which is continuing to pursue the Lord with all your heart. So just be on guard. We have to be aware of that, that this is real. Um, Third way that we can um, cultivate uh, contentment in our lives Remind ourselves that the things of this world will never satisfy the inner longing of your soul. Nothing in this world will satisfy the inner longing of your soul. This is the way Isaiah puts it. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? This is what Jeremiah Burroughs says. The reason why you have not contentment in the things of this world is not because you have not got enough of them, but because they are not things proportionable to that immortal soul of yours that is capable of God himself. That spot in your heart that is reserved for God cannot be satisfied by anything but God. That's why it doesn't matter how much you have or don't have. God's the only one that can satisfy that. He says, it's like trying to satisfy your hunger by breathing air. It doesn't satisfy your hunger because it's not food. And the things of this world will not satisfy your spiritual appetite. Look at the wealthiest people in the world. Many of them are not content at all. They have everything. They're not content at all. Or, better example, would be to look at Solomon. Solomon had it all. He says, vanity and strive, he said, it is all vanity and striving after the wind. And he should know. I mean, he, there was nobody like him. This is the point. This is what I want you to remember. You were created by God, and you were created for God. <clears throat> 
And the only thing that can satisfy that inner longing in your heart is God. You were created for that purpose. That's why you're here. And he is the only one that can satisfy that. Anything or anybody else that you try to put in that place of where God should be will never satisfy. It will not satisfy. It will leave your soul empty and dry in the end. Fourth thing that we can do to maintain or to cultivate contentment is to strive to maintain an eternal perspective of who we are and what our relationship to this world is. This is what Peter says. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. So he uses two descriptions here. Aliens are people who originally were aliens, were people who weren't there permanently. And strangers are passing through. And he says, fleshly lusts wage war against your soul. So this world, in this world, we're passing through. And the, these lusts that, of the flesh that John mentioned are at war with you, with your soul. We're not on this earth to be in a picnic our whole life. It's a war. It's a spiritual war. <clears throat> Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, suffer hardship with me, as good soldier of Jesus Christ. So we are strangers. We are soldiers. We're here. This isn't our home. It's temporary. We're only here for a while. And while we're here, there's a war going on for your soul. Now, there are some things... I just wanted to mention about war that might be good to think about. I was in a war in Vietnam. When you're in a war, hardship is expected. And that's what Paul says here. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier. There is hardship that is expected as a person in a war. You may hope that there are days that are easier than others, and there will be days that are easier than others. But you never have the mentality when you're in a war that you're going to settle into the easy life and just kind of coast along. That's not what you're thinking about. Because if you do, your life is going to be in great danger. The enemy could be right around the corner, could be right over the next hill, could be on the trail that you're walking on. Where I was in, the area of operation I was in in Vietnam, we served mostly 
in jungle mountainous areas. There were sometimes we were in low, lower lying areas that weren't thick jungles, but for the most part, we were in jungleless mountainous areas. Now, when you're traveling there, there's usually two ways that you can get through the jungle. One is you have a machete and you start cutting your way and make your own trail. That's one way. Sometimes there were already trails made. And, of course, sometimes you take those. But you had to be extremely vigilant when there was a trial or a trail that uh, was well-worn. <coughs> that was the easy way. And the enemy would often use the easy life, so to speak, the easy way, to set the ambushes, to set the, the trip wires, to uh, have explosives to catch somebody on the trail. So your life depended on being vigilant. <clears throat> there were times when you feel like you are just extremely exhausted and you cannot move to go up the next hill, but you have to. It's not a choice. You have to. Or you could die. <clears throat> and so you press on. And, um, and it's true in our own Christian lives. Some of you have gone through some heavy, heavy trials. Recently heavy trials. And you're weary. It's a spiritual warfare. You've got to press through and press on. But you don't do it in your own strength. You're asking God to strengthen you, to help you, to get you over the next hill. It, it's the Holy Spirit's got to help. If you're relying on your own strength to get you through all the trials, you're going to fail. You've got to rely on the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Another thing that in a war situation like I was in, we knew that it was not permanent it was temporary. <clears throat> we knew that somewhere in the vicinity of 10 to 15 months, we were going to go home. So we knew our living quarters were temporary. When you're out on the trail and it's very wet, you put up a poncho to keep dry at night, you're not worried about how it looks. You're just trying to stay dry. You're trying to just be able to get to the next day. And uh, so, <clears throat> you know, we are here in this life, brief stay in the light of eternity. So we don't want to get too caught up with trying to make these temporary dwellings permanent. We're not going to be here permanently. <clears throat> Now, that's not saying that while we're here, we should do the best we can to make our living environment comfortable. I'm not saying we should go all live in tents. But let's not be consumed with that stuff. That's not what we should be consumed with. This isn't our home. We're going home. And that's my last point. <clears throat> that was the one thought that was on our minds most of the time, I would say, when we had leisure time to think about things, we look forward to going home. 
That was the thing that was on my mind. I wanted to get home. And that was on many of the guys' minds. They wanted to get home. So there was this longing in our heart. I want to get home, and I'd rather get home safely. So it's, it's the same for us spiritually. <clears throat> you know, he had a, this is just a little side note, but about this thing of getting home safely. We had a first sergeant in our outfit that was a Korean veteran also. He was an older guy. He was, we called him Top because he's the top sergeant. And um, that guy was very knowledgeable about war. And for us that weren't, I was, I was like a sponge. If he said dig, I just kept digging until he said, that's deep enough. You know, I, whatever he said, I did. Because I wanted to get home safe. And I was trusting him. We can trust God to bring us home safe. That's our ultimate home, is to be with the Lord. And that's the longing of our heart. It's what we want. Just a few more, and then I, I'll be done here. Fifth, <clears throat> ways to cultivate faithfulness. Labor to be spiritually minded. Labor to be spiritually minded. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. I'm just hitting on some little thoughts from these verses. They could be developed much more. But this idea of keep seeking, persistence in seeking the things of God, persistence in it, persistence in the word, reading the word, persistence in prayer, keeping just going after it. And second point that I want to bring up about this verse is set your mind on these things. It's a mindset. Be intentional about it. When it says keep seeking, set your mind there, it's talking about being intentional. I'm going to do this by God's grace. Make it a priority. Don't be distracted from it. Make that a priority in your life, and it will help you to cultivate contentment. Another thing that is helpful in cultivating contentment is to remember the mercies and blessings that God's bestowed upon us and not just merely focus on the trials. When you read Psalm uh, 136, it's 26 verses. Every verse ends with the phrase, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Some say his mercy is everlasting. Some say his steadfast love is everlasting. But in that psalm, he goes through, he talks about creation, and he talks about God's steadfast love is everlasting. Talks about the children of Israel and their deliverances from Egypt and in the wilderness. His steadfast love is everlasting. 
And his steadfast love is everlasting for us, too. And so we need to remember those things. Um, Fellowship with the saints will help you to cultivate faithfulness. Being alone and isolated is a way to have the enemy attack you. The enemy likes to isolate and get you alone and attack. Fellowship with the believers is a way to cultivate faithfulness because you're reminded of the things of God. That's what you're talking about, the things of God. And then the last thing I would say about this laboring to be spiritual minded. We all have family that are lost and don't know the Lord. We all have neighbors that are lost and don't know the Lord or friends. We need to be mindful that they are eternal souls and they need the Lord. And so by going to the Lord in prayer for them helps you to cultivate that sense of eternity and be spiritually minded and just have that burden for their souls and praying for them and asking God for open doors for them. Okay, just two more shortly. Um, Sixth way to cultivate, or we can, thoughts on, these are my thoughts, uh, uh, to cultivate um, contentment is remember the sovereignty and providence of God in trials. God is working in us and through us for his purposes. We only see the immediate situation that we're involved in. But God sees the whole picture. We can't see the whole picture. God can. Here's a, a just a weak example. But children, little children, oftentimes like to do things that their parents think they shouldn't be doing that, at least right now. They shouldn't be doing They're not old enough to do They're going to get hurt if they do that. So the parent steps in. And short circuits what they want, what the child wants for the good of the child. Well, we need to remember that also when God steps in. We must exercise faith and trust in God's goodness, his timing, and purposes in our life. He knows best what we need to be more like Christ. And that's what he's working towards. Here's a, um, if you want to ever just look in the scripture for a verse that displays contentment, look at Psalm 131, verse 2. I'll read it to you. But this just is a picture of contentment. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul Like a weaned child rests against his mother, my soul is like a weaned child within me. That is what contentment is. We're just resting on Christ, 
like a weaned child, trusting him, resting on him. <clears throat> and then the last point, very briefly, make a good interpretation of God's ways towards you. That will help you to remember to cultivate, how to cultivate contentment. Don't doubt God's goodness towards you. You know, this was the first temptation of Eve. The devil said, God's holding out on you. I've got something better than God has for you. Don't believe it. Trust, never doubt God's intentions toward you. <clears throat> Romans 8.28 says that we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. <clears throat> Not all things that come into your life are good. We know that. But God somehow, and his only he can do it, he works those things together for good for you. And we need to remember that. <clears throat> and then lastly, we've mentioned this already, but when there are concerns and fears and doubts that arise, Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. Don't ever, ever forget that God cares for you. It's extremely important in the attack against the evil one to remember God cares for us. Well, why don't we pray? <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is true. We thank you that you care for every believer. We thank you that you work every trial in our lives for good. We don't know how that happens, Lord, but we are thankful it does. We know that you've said you're going to conform us to your image. You're going to make us more like Jesus. That's the longing of our heart, Lord. Help us in this life to view our life in the right perspective, to view this world in the right perspective, and to really be able to trust you in all circumstances and to rest upon you. We pray you would work by your Holy Spirit that sweet, <clears throat> quiet, inward work of just resting and trusting you and having godly contentment in our lives. Pray in Christ's name.